All right, so today is April 18th, 2020. I'm here with the wonderful Robbie Green. How you doing, Robbie? Good, how are you? Cool. All right, well, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about these topics. Um, you know, we've been talking about these for a long time, just back and forth, at dinner table, at wherever. Um, you know, so really, I'm really looking forward to kind of just, uh, just kind of going through them with you, especially when everything that's happened the last two months, I guess. But uh, you want to start with just kind of an introduction of, you know, of who you are and what you've been up to and, and all that? Sure. Yeah. So I have, uh, well, currently I'm not in China, but have been living in China since uh, the summer of 2018. I'm a visiting researcher at a research organization at Tsinghua University based in Beijing. And then I'm also a senior fellow at the Program on International Financial Systems, which is uh, affiliated with Harvard University. And before, and, and then also a fellow at uh, Singapore University of Social Sciences. And that's kind of how part of the way we know each other. Um, yeah. And uh, before uh, moving to that part of the world, I was a Washington, D.C. based financial services consultant. And then before that, worked in uh, think tanks and briefly in government as well, uh, working on financial yeah. services issues. Pretty dope stuff, man. So you've been doing a lot of research in your professional career, and a lot. And if if I recall correctly, a lot of that research is about financial infrastructure, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I was a consultant, I did work related to uh, financial market infrastructure, and uh, as a researcher, I've also focused a lot on how um, new technologies like distributed ledger technology and blockchain can. Uh, have an impact on settlement and clearing systems, and then also payment systems uh, uh, as well. And uh, also uh, how these technologies can impact the ability of firms to raise capital. So whether that be through uh, um, token offerings, which are sometimes called ICOs, uh, mm -hmm. or whether this be through uh, you know, what people, some people call security token offerings, or uh, whether this uh, blockchain be applied in a way that impacts how stock markets uh, record ownership of securities or facilitate um, uh, payments. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, there's something I really want to kind of ask you about because it's something that I know you've been doing a lot of research into, and is you know with the kind of unprecedented stimulus that's coming out these days, uh, with the fact that everyone's you know at home um and that's cbdc's right central bank digital currencies so you know how would you define a cbdc is to me it's just like if the central bank issues a currency and it's on it's like if the central bank you know i don't know like how would you define a cbdc well i i, I think that's a great question and you know to my, my cop-out answer is i i don't have one i think it's a, a very uh it's a term that's being thrown thrown around a lot and, and people really haven't thought through a definition for it right so I, I i i'm gonna i'm gonna dodge that one and say the onus isn't on me to create a definition for cbdc it's presumably on central banks uh yeah i think one of the fascinating things that you're seeing right now is uh, a huge divergence within countries and outside um and between countries as to what will central bank digital currency look like? What's the purpose of central bank digital currency? Is the purpose mm -hmm. of central bank digital currency to 
improve financial income, I mean, sorry, financial inclusion for low-income individuals? Or is the purpose of central bank digital currency to facilitate more efficient bank-to-bank uh, -bank transfers? Both of those policy goals are fantastic. I mean, you, it would certainly have safer, more efficient interbank transfers is a great thing. And to have more financial inclusion for low-income people is a great thing. But the way in which you reach those ends uh, is is uh, is very different, and I think um, and I think that is uh, you know something that needs to be resolved, and it'll fundamentally impact what a central bank digital currency looks like. Yeah, you know it's uh yeah like you like you noted there's a lot of ambiguity in what a what a CBDC is, and it really reminds me a lot about so I don't know if I told you this before, but I used to work in AI before I did blockchain stuff for a few years and so there was like like people tri trying to come up with definitions for ai and there's never really been like one single definition and my favorite definition has always been that ai is whatever you see computers doing in movies that's what ai <laughs> is you know that's like what we wish computers could do for us is what ai is and i feel like cbdc's you know like you said it's like we're not you know there's a lot of ambiguity as to what exactly they are um, but the goals are generally quite beneficial, or at least the stated goals. It just reminds me a lot of AI, where it's like, you know, the central banks are going to do something, and it might be on a blockchain, but or some DLT-ish data structure, and it's going to uh, presumably create a lot of good. But we don't exactly know what it's going to look like or how it's going to work. And you know, like you were kind of mentioning, we don't even know exactly what the point of issuing a cbdc is you know yeah i, mean, I, th yeah. You know, I think one thing that we we can the one kind of common point on cbdc and the, even this isn't fully um i mean when you start to hear people sometimes talk about a digital dollar then this isn't um necessarily how it would work but one of the, I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements and other international the financial stability board, and if you look at what they've put out on CBDC, so these organizations that are, you know, multilateral uh, entities where regulators from numerous countries come, they come to talk about these topics. The, the general consensus, right, is that this will be a new form of central bank liability, right? Uh -huh. So, you know, central banks have cash. Um, you know, when you hold a bank note, that's a liability of the central bank. Uh -huh. Central banks have reserves in the sense that, um, you know, large commercial banks are depositing funds at the uh, central bank, and those are reserves. So that's a liability on the, the banks, uh, on the central bank's balance sheet. And the idea of CBDC is presumably it's a new liability. Uh, right. And, and um, so that that is, I think, one I, I would... When, just going back to your original question, I, I would add that one element, but um, still, there's a lot of ways to do that, right? And so, kind of that 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 doesn't necessarily define CBDC. Uh, it's just explaining one characteristic of what a CBDC would have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got like it's got something to do with a central bank, and the rest is kind of open to interpretation. But so. So, you know, um, a lot of people, I think, well, certainly now that the stimulus checks are coming in in the U.S., I think it's kind of like, well, if we all just had an account in the Fed, then it'd be so much easier, right? They would just 
you know, they just put in a few buttons and it would just come show up in our account. Um, maybe if that's how it's actually going to work. But so, you know, I think a lot of people have been talking about CBDCs the last month or so specifically because I think people kind of want like people kind of want hope, right? This kind of crazy time. They want to see that you know, once we're out of this, this pandemic, things are going to be different and better. And, you know, money is just going to work better. And it's, you know, so what do you think if that's kind of what the CBC is just going to be, if it's just kind of new liability held in central bank, what do you think the benefit, what do you think the point is? You know, like, what do you like, not just in terms of, well, for financial inclusion, you know, to help certain underprivileged people, but like, what's the point for the central banks? You know, what's the point for these nation states to to want to push this out? Well, I, you know, I, I think a lot of the rhetoric at certain, certainly in the U.S. with regards to uh, central bank digital currencies at the actual Federal Reserve has been pretty, um, pretty, pretty restrained, pretty conservative, not in the political sense of the word, but in the in the um, in the sense of recognizing that introducing a new liability to the central bank balance sheet and introducing a new way in which the Fed could or a central bank could presumably conduct monetary policy. It's a, it's a big deal. And it's mm-hmm. not a decision to be taken lightly. And so I think there's a lot of calls for CBDC, um, well, at least in the U.S., out, outside of the central bank. But I think the central bank, I mean, they recognize that this is important and a very important discussion to have. But there's a lot of risks and benefits to be uh, you know, thought through. Then you can go to Europe, and in Europe you have, um, so for example, last week or the week before, uh, you had France's central bank issue a request for proposals, um, wanting to experiment with a bank-to-bank CBDC, right? So they want to, France is very interested in looking, this proposal has nothing to do really with the, you know, the average person, but more so is about how can we improve um, bank-to-bank euro transactions. Um, and then in China, you've had the news recently of a, you know, some pictures emerging of what would be the CBDC wallet, presumably. It's branded with a state-owned bank's logo. Uh, and there's now reports that certain um, certain state employees in one city's district are going to experiment with receiving CBDC as a transportation subsidy. So, I mean, when you contrast what's happening in China to what's happening in Europe to what's happening in the U.S., um, and, you know, I could go on and on, but I think that the, the broader point here is that as we look at what the, the pandemic, how that's influencing calls for more CBDC, I mean, calls to uh, look into CBDC more, more and, and calls to push out CBDC, I, mm-hmm. I, I think central bankers are still... They have their hands full. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I think not all the, 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 not all of the discussion about CBDC is, is in, is in res- direct response to the pandemic. I'll also just note on that front that, you know, there's ways to get money in the hands of people quickly without CBDC. Right. And, right. um, as an example, um, you know, Going back to China, uh, 
there are these recent experiments of CBDC have nothing to do with really getting the cash into the hands of uh, of people in response to the pandemic. I mean, maybe that could happen, but as of now, that doesn't seem to be the case. What is happening though is local governments are partnering with um, Alipay and using Alipay to issue vouchers, uh, mm-hmm. vouchers for restaurants, vouchers for uh, movie theaters, vouchers for local businesses, gyms, um, in, a, in a way of trying to get people spending in the local economy again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think kind of going then back, back, you know, back to the public calls for CBDC or what you mentioned, this kind of people wanting hope. I, I think what this whole incident, uh, you know, the current state, I think we can all agree that the payment system needs work, right? Payment mm-hmm. system in the U.S. needs work. The payment system in Europe needs work. Payment systems, you know, like anything, any infrastructure can can be improved. And uh, and I think when we wonder, hey, why does it take so long for a check to reach someone? Um, can, is there a better way of doing this? And I, you know, yeah. And then the question is, do you need to solve that problem with CBDC or not? And you know, I think that is uh, certainly up for debate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so let's actually unpack the 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 uh, the alleged China example. Right, where they're using lots to, to send kind of travel vouchers because you know when when ACHs came out, no one used them, and then they started distributing social security with it, and then everyone started using them. Now ACHs are kind of the dominant form payment, you know, domestic payment in the U.S. And so when you said that, it just it just reminded me so much of that example, where it's like if you start sending around you know you know travel vouchers or other vouchers, then yeah, everyone's gonna register for one of these immediately, and it's such a kind of self-contained use case especially because it was public transport so um you know it was kind of within a state-controlled system anyway and so and you know it's it's like perfectly reasonable right like if you want to issue a travel voucher on on alipay you could but then you'd have to go to this private corporation and ask them to make a new kind of credit inside their database um, and then you have to work with the kind of the transportation system to kind of integrate with Alipay. And you might as well just just cut out the middleman, just do it yourself, you know, especially considering because there's both state provided services. So maybe that's like enough benefit is just a way to kind of distribute central bank stimulus. Because another major issue in the US is that, you know, the central bank is the Fed is putting out all this lending all this liquidity for small businesses at the same time all these commercial banks are terrified of lending to anything that's not fed backed because obviously the credit risk is so high right now for everyone and so there's this issue of like there's all this liquidity but it's kind of not being able to the fed can't get it out to small businesses you know fast enough because it has to be filtered through those financial intermediaries so maybe this would be a case where a CBDC just makes more sense. Um, I don't know. I mean, and then there's there's the fact that if, if it really just is a way to replace cash, you know, cash, as you know, is like the most popular way to loan our money. And so if you just have cash that you that is that is overseen directly by the by the central bank, it might make it a lot easier to fight money laundering. Um, I don't know. Do you think these are what people are going to be going for when they put out these CBDCs? Uh, well, 
I think it, I, I think it's really, I, I think it really depends on the jurisdiction, right? Okay. I mean, I think countries, you know, like the U.S., like Germany, like Japan, there mm. there's a, there's an affinity for cash, right? And I mean, and even with the proliferation of credit cards and with the proliferation of, uh, you know, technology that would in, allow for, uh, you know next generation and uh, ways of paying. So for example, Google Pay, I mean, you can use Google Pay in, in the US, but um, granted not every store accepts it, but I mean, it is a technology, yet plenty of people choose not to. And and uh, I think that when policymakers are, are, are looking at when and where to deploy CBDC, Again, so let's just, I guess right now we're confining the discussion to retail facing the CBDC, CBDC that everyday normal people would use, um, not the bank to bank CBDC, which is a big part of the discussion, but putting it just on retail CBDC. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you touched on the anonymity concern is a huge one. Uh, and that's a double edged sword, right? Because on one hand, if you don't allow that anonymity, well, then, um, and, and, and it's a new way in which the, you know, state to have more in, insight into your payments, payments behavior, that's mm -hmm. a disincentive to use, presumably. Um, but if you don't, if you do have rigorous uh, anonymity protections, then essentially the state is facilitating, um, you know, it's no different than cash in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, illicit transactions occur in cash. But you know, I will add to that. that I mean, transact illicit transactions occur via cash. Illicit transactions also occur via banks. So right. I, I, you know, this is this is you know, criminals will do criminal uh, things. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, with again, I think some the biggest fundamental question for retail facing CBDC is. I mean, one, you're, you're kind of building out a new product, right? So you need to incentivize right. users. And I think that is fundamentally the biggest, biggest question. Like, why would someone choose to use CBDC versus another payment mechanism? If I use my credit card in the U.S., I get, uh, you know, points. And I can then use those right. points. So that, that's an incentive for me to use that credit card relative to cash. Uh, right. In China... If I use uh, Alipay to buy delivery food, well, then I can get a discount on the delivery mm -hmm. food. That's an incentive to use that payments platform. Um, mm -hmm. And then I can also, you know, you get a score, and then that's, um, that score can help you um, use other services. But what is the incentive for CBDC, right? I mean, it, and especially, you know, let's say we evolve to uh a system where, uh, you know, different accounts and different, uh, so, you know, let's say your, your checking account is very easily um, able to switch into CBDC, right? So you have an interest bearing checking your savings account, and then you also have a CBDC wallet. And let's presume that the CBDC does not give you interest. Why would you keep your money in CBDC? Right. If you can easily switch it, even if you want to use CBDC to pay, even if there's an incentive for you to use CBDC to pay, why would mm -hmm. you store your money in CBDC if you can store it in an interest-bearing account? You know, so I think these are some of the, 
So even if you build up this super awesome payment system that, 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 that's, that is a CBDC payment system, unless you can incentivize people to use it, mm-hmm. then, then, then that's going to pose an issue. Then, then the converse of that is, okay, maybe you incentivize the, the, the shopkeepers and the merchants to, you know, it's a public good. And so you have this low cost uh, payment system that mm-hmm. is an alternative to these, uh, you know, third-party payment providers. But that also creates, uh, you know, is, is that something that you want your central bank doing, right? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the, you, I could go on and on, but I mean, I, I do, when, when it comes to retail CBDC, I do feel that unless there is an active push, it's going to be uh, getting that user uptake is mm-hmm. is going to it be it's going to be difficult yeah you know is that you know i think it's a great question is is that something you want the central bank to be doing because you know i think the last few like the last month really we've seen kind of just an on just a, a staggering growth in the role of government in uh in everyone's lives um certainly in the economy um certainly in public safety and public health you know, we have these massive restrictions on travel, on what you can do. Um, you know, we've seen Facebook, for, I mean, since Trump got elected, right, people have been calling on Facebook to do more about news on their platform. And now they just started, it took a, it took a global pandemic for them to release a, face, a fake news tool. You know, Twitter has stepped up their fake news policing as well. And so all these things have happened. And I think what we're seeing is that it's really that, you know, government, that central banks have really stepped up their presence in people's lives. They're playing a much bigger part in, in everything now. And, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I think it's still way too early to tell. Obviously, in the short term, I think the, the intention is to kind of to save the economy and to, to reduce the pain that everyone's feeling. And obviously, I think that's great. But, you know, to your point is that, like, you know, let's say that after, you know, a year, this, this virus fizzles out, and we start going back to normal, whatever that means, then is that kind of what we want? Do we want the, the central banks to be kind of have a, have a much bigger role in the, in the economy and the financial system? And, you know, what do you think the impact from that is going to be? Yeah, so um, I think it's, it's important to look at it again, country by country, right? Uh, I think... You know, putting all the the massive uh, monetary policy decisions of the last few weeks that have been made, and how those will um, certainly lead to years and years of uh, you know consequences and and des- and decisions that need to be made. Going back to just the the, the payment system, I I think just given all uh, th- that, I think that there presumed presumably will be at least some level of folks not wanting to use cash as much in payments um, because of a feeling of this can be a way in which germs can be uh, transferred, even though there, there's conflicting studies on that. Uh, and I'm certainly not a doctor or, under, you know, so I don't, I don't know if that is uh, how, what, what, what the, uh, I just know that there's conflicting studies. Uh, but I think that that feeling, oh, that, you know, so, Certainly, that's going to maybe push people more into using digital payments 
Um, but I think the and I think there's also a certain level of as we see these flurry of announcements and trying to talk about CBDC and Libra puts out a new white paper and all these uh, you know announcements come about. There's a certain it's kind of a becomes a bit of a competition. But uh, in terms of like a full fledged rollout of CBDC, like a nationwide, this is what's being used. Uh, I mean, for the big currencies, for like the U.S. dollar, uh, for example, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I remain pretty skeptical that you're going to see a, a massive rollout of a uh, CBDC at, defined as a central bank, you know, liability, um, in the in the near term. Uh, I think China will presumably, you know, pilot. Uh, a form of CBDC in a city or two or three uh, on a larger right. scale than what's set to occur in the month or two ahead. Uh, you know, probably by Q4, there there will be a, a more robust pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even there, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, that, that, that system, at least how it's been described as a two-tier CBDC in, in which, uh, you know, the, the retail user is going to kind of store their CBDC with a state-owned bank-sponsored wallet or a bank-sponsored mm-hmm. wallet. And uh, then what, you know, so then I guess that will still represent a new form of a liability on the central bank's balance sheet, maybe. But then mm-hmm. I guess that that's much different. And this, again, this is just, you know, it's not like I have some inside baseball knowledge. I'm just you know, looking what the official announcements are. And mm-hmm. that, that two-tiered CBDC model is very different than what, for example, some, uh, some of the Democrats on the uh, House Financial Services Committee have endorsed and here in the U.S., mm-hmm. which is having uh, a form of a digital dollar that is uh, basically a consumer bank account at the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Very different. Very, very, very different. Um, and yeah, I mean, with both of those models, they're, you know, well, let's go back to the China example. I mean, there's still this question of why use CBDC? What's, is there going to be interest on it? Um, if not, then what's the incentive to use? Why not just keep my money in my state-owned bank account and then only switch out to CBDC when I, you know, need to pay. And so th- this goes down to this question, will retail facing CBDC be a payment system or will it be a store of value? You know, mm-hmm. why do people have cash, right? Do people have cash to, I mean, mostly to pay, but some people also have cash to, they, they want to store money. And indeed, when crises occur, there's a, mm-hmm. sometimes a rush to cash because people can, people perceive that as safer than the money in the bank. Uh, and so I think these are all really important questions that need to be addressed. And I all, I'm not saying I don't think it's possible that CBDC will occur in my, you know, occur in my lifetime. I, I just think in the, in the very near term, especially with everything that's going on, uh, there's some serious logistical issues that need to be thought through and they need to be thought through very carefully. And, and yeah. I should say policymakers are, are doing that. And that, and, and so that, that'll just take time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me throw let me throw kind of a speculative fiction kind of example at you. So let's say that, you know, the CBDC model 
is it's a consumer bank account at the Fed. So and let's just start with the US. All 350 million people have a bank account at the Fed and it's a dollar. So it's one to one with the dollar. It's, it is actually a dollar, right? It's literally a dollar. And um, and all your all payments information is kept at the Fed. Obviously, everyone's KYC'd and there's no interest. Um, and you receive your by now ubiquitous universal basic income payments through the Fed. You just, you know, put in a few numbers and you just get your money. And every uh, nation in the world has this. Um, and let's just say that's a scenario, right? Um, and there's no restrictions about people, things like Alipay or Stripe or whatever. You know, you can still order at Square. You can do whatever you want. It's just that, you know, everyone just has tons of CBC, CBDCs, CBDC coins, because they keep getting them through the UBI programs that, in this scenario, every government now, now has. Mm -hmm. You know, what does, the, what does the world look like at that point? You know, like what? everyone's, everyone is a, 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 a consumer, everyone's a client of the Fed, and everyone's also kind of like, you know, they're being, they're being kept a lot, they're being fed by the Fed, right? They're getting money from the Fed. You know, like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, well, so I mean, I think that, yeah, so well, a number, a number of points. First of all is, so even in a world of UBI, um, mm -hmm. even in a world where UBI is done via CBDC, uh, I mean, I think the, the, the fundamental question remains, is that CBDC interest-bearing or not? And if it's not interest-bearing and people still have the option for bank accounts, mm -hmm. well, then I guess my question is, why aren't you going to put your, you know, convert your CBDC into a, into a, uh, into a, a deposit at a bank account that yields interest? Or maybe interest, uh, you know, interest rates are zero or negative, but still, I mean, there's, there's all different, I, I guess I am skeptical that without interest-bearing CBDC and an option for interest-bearing deposit accounts, that one would leave their money in CBDC. On top of that, I think before we even get to this scenario, um, let's imagine a world, okay, where it is interest-bearing or that interest rates are so low at um, checking accounts that people are don't care or just the way deposits are historically sticky and so maybe people think they're fed you know you know treat their their cbdc coins at the fed as a uh as you know just another deposit and they they don't want to worry about it so they feel they appreciate that safety well then i mean i think and this is a big consideration of cbdc is well then what is the effect on the banking system right because deposited yeah. banks fund loans right and so I'm of the view that uh, once you start looking at CBDC as a store of value, that that can get very um, that 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 could ultimately be a huge shock to the um, financial system, because you know for for quite some time, you know banks have existed to engage um, in taking in deposits and converting those short. Um, short-term liabilities into long-term assets, loans, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this, this business model has given rise to deposit insurance. And so again, if we're talking about a, uh, you know, people want safety, well, our, I mean, you know, there's a lot of debates to be had about what's the appropriate way to structure a deposit insurance system. But at least the status quo right now in the U.S. and in 
most countries is that up to a certain level, right? Your money in the bank is insured by the government. Mm-hmm. And, and so then functionally, if you're concerned about the security of your, uh, security of your money, and you, let's say the government's giving you a UBI, you can either have a government-backed yielding product, your checking account, or a government-backed non-yielding pro- product, your money at the CBDC account. And so there, you know, again, unless that interest rate is higher, or unless we're assuming that the margin is so small and deposits are so sticky, it won't matter, then I think the money will flow to the deposit checking account. And if that's not the case, and if the, inter- the, inter- the interest rates on the CBDC or so are, are sufficiently high and it's going to cause people to flow in mass to CBDC, well, then that's going to be a huge hit on the banking system because then mm. there's not deposits to fund loans. Well, you know, now that you're, you're – because we've talked about this a lot of, before. But it's like why does a commercial bank need to exist in, a, in a, like a, such a Fed-dominant world? But like, you know, now that you're talking about it, I feel like there is a scenario where all these can kind of be maybe solved. Where, because I feel like if, if these banks, if the Fed went to such a length to kind of put out the CBDC, I feel like they would have to include some kind of API to kind of mess around. You know, obviously they'll let certain authorized parties mess around with the money in everyone's CBDC bank account. And so consider this. So let's say there exists an API. And from a consumer standpoint, it's like, you know, some third party, let's say JPMC, they want to use your money. And, you know, you click a button and then, a pop-up comes up like a like a Facebook login. You know, it's like, hey, JPMC is going to use your money to um, to make loans to people, and your money's at risk, but they're going to pay you this much interest. You know, let's let's say it's like a ten percent loan. They're going to pay you like seven percent interest, like a non-trivial amount of interest. You know, do you want to move your money to a sub account at JPMC's CBDC account? You know, do you think that would be a plausible kind of solution to this problem of like a shock to the bank system plus not having interest on these CBDCs? You know, I, I, I guess then that goes into, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, this other barrier, right? Which is at some point someone has to flip on the switch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking, I mean, about a pretty high stakes game. And yeah. I, I, I guess I... I I, d- I don't see how this any iteration of CBDC gets rolled out without lots and lots of pilots and lots and lots of testing. And then ultimately, once you get c- commercial banks involved, that poses a whole new set of challenges. Because what commercial banks are you going to get involved? Are you going to get all of them involved? Well, in countries like the US and Germany and China, there are a lot of banks. We have lots mm-hmm. of banks, particularly in, in, in the US. And, mm-hmm. and, and so are you going to set up a CBDC system that, you know, creates the, you know, that allows the largest several banks to have this relationship that the other banks don't have? Uh, what impact is that? You know, and then you think about the percentage of small business lending and agricultural lending in the U.S. that's uh, done by community banks. And it's, that's about 50%, 70% respectively. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, if you start to, if you do anything to kind of, I mean, any action is going to have a reaction. And I, and I get, so that's why I think, I, I think the Federal Reserve in, in the U.S., their, their cautious approach is, um, is, is commendable, I think, because 
there 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 needs to be a you know a, a, a strong consideration of of what this ultimately will mean for the banking system um because the you know any 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 disruption to where deposits are stored fundamentally is going to disrupt how credit is allocated across the economy and then you're starting to talk about you know especially now <laughs> that is a you know we don't want to have a one-two punch and we want to be very careful with any any potential disruptions to how credit is allocated mm-hmm. uh, i think then going back to then then there's this question okay well then how can we maybe use distributed ledger technology to improve bank-to-bank payments right because maybe mm-hmm. and this kind of i think goes to what you're talking about is uh is there a way that there could be a we'll call it CBDC, but a, a blockchain or distributed ledger technology, or even just a better way of facilitating bank to bank transfers um, mm-hmm. initiated by consumers. And that's, there, there are efforts underway in the US to do that. Um, and I, I think that those efforts could be accelerated and I think they're incredibly important. And I mean, I think that's the, the, the big question is what, you know, can commercial banks be, um, you know, have the leeway and have and be able to create this more uh, efficient payment system that enable end users to transfer value in a safe, secure way. Mm. Yeah. In a fast, yeah, so secure I, way, I can say. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, let's talk about that. So it's like, you know, and I, so there, there is a, a medium out there which shares half of the you know, objectives that these CBDCs are trying to accomplish. And I think you know what I'm talking about, where... Yeah. It's on a blockchain and it's private and it's secure. It's an order of magnitude faster than Swift and and et cetera, et cetera. But it has it it absolutely defies intervention from central banks. And it's got no AML checks kind of baked into the system. And it's not even the currency is terribly volatile. And it's not pegged to anything. And someone say it has no inherent value. And obviously that's and it's been working for 10 years. And obviously that's Bitcoin. So, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think a role Bitcoin kind of plays in a world where everyone's just running around using CBDCs? Yeah, well, I, you know, considering that, I, I would say my view is that a world in which everyone is using CBDCs is very far off. Um, <laughs> the question is, you know, what is what is Bitcoin, you know, fun, what is Bitcoin's functionality in the payments in the global payment space five, 10 years from now. And I guess my view on that is um, Bitcoin has proven itself as an ability to conduct uh, cross-border uh, cross-border payments, you know, quite effectively. I mean, it, it you know, surely it's not perfect. Uh, surely it has problems. But I, I mean, it, you know, the UI could it be works. better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, and, you know, people aren't necessarily using it in the most secure way. There, there's sloppy mistakes, and, and there's hacks at exchanges, and there's hacks at intermediaries. Uh, so it certainly has problems. But in terms of getting the underlying technology, in terms of getting money, or we'll call it value, from point A to point B, point A being in one country, country X, point B being in another country, country Y, it does that. I don't think anyone can debate that. I, it does that. And if you're using it in a safe, secure, correct way, it's going to do that quite effectively. 
I I can't. Uh, I think they're you know the the more technologist oriented debates about what effect ha- having will have on this and what effect um, you know will a competitor to Bitcoin emerge that's better. Uh, you know what what does that mean? I, you know that that those are important debates and and I I, I always like to read up on that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the the the, the fundamental the question of does this work? The answer is yes. And mm-hmm. will it increase in usership? I think it's safe to say yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does that mean? I think well you know there's already companies and actors that are are working to be able to kind of engage in making sure that criminals who use bitcoins for uh, you know bad purposes. Uh, you know, are are able to be caught. Uh, mm-hmm. So that technology is increasingly, you know, being developed and used. But uh, ultimately, there is a degree of anonymity associated with those cross value, those cross border transactions, that is, uh, you know, a step below cash, but certainly a step above a uh, uh, a transaction that involves two banks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have more time? Because I got one last thing that I want to, one more controversial thing I want to ask you about. Sure, one one more Otherwise, controversial question. <laughs> one more controversial question. Because I think, you know, a lot of time when we talk about CBDCs versus Bitcoin, we talk about stuff like anonymity and privacy and, and you know, AML and stuff like that. But, you know, again, given the, the new world that we live in, um, it's, you know, the Fed's balance sheet has increased dramatically recently. And it doesn't really show any sign of decreasing i mean certainly with 2008 we said we'd increase it then we roll it wind it down we tapered for like a year then we just you know dumped that you know just 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 threw that out the window and so in a world where um you know where the money supply of fiat currency of central bank currencies is increasing dramatically you know the you know the one of the advantages of bitcoin is that the issuance is certainly increasing a lot slower than the central banks than the feds balance sheet is you know let's just say that so do you think that having a competitor not just in terms of you know here's this other system that works this technological system that works but like here's this other form of value that is based on completely different principles from kind of central bank paradigms you know what do you think the impact of that is going to be uh, so basically, what will be the impact of having this alternative payment system exist in a world in which uh, we're experiencing very uh, new forms of monetary policy? Well, more like what is the alternative, alternative, uh, well, alternative store of value? You know, where our current stores of value are. Well, there's a big experiment being being put on with them. Yeah, I mean, I look. I, I mean, that's where you know. It's been interesting to see what's been happening in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, we're recording this mid-April, uh, 2020, uh, with regards to you know, Bitcoin not necessarily behaving. I mean, you know, stock market goes up, Bitcoin goes up. Stock market goes down, Bitcoin goes down. Um, you know, so there, some have said that's because of increased institutional investor participation in the market. Um, so. I guess, you know, this question versus your last question, right? When you know, the last question focused on Bitcoin as a payment system. Then this question, I guess, is more geared towards 
Bitcoin as a store of value. Uh, you know, that is, I think, is going to be a, a fast. I, I don't presume to know the outcome on that. And uh, and I, you know, in part because I focus more on kind of the, you know, how, how financial market infrastructure operates. And, you know, I, I guess I all I can say is that, you know, will people when they are transacting via Bitcoin, will they want to keep their money in Bitcoin? Right. I think that's the question. Will they want to keep their when will people want to continue storing value? Um, I think this this ties into a broader debate of, you know, do we do we think trends? Uh, I mean, do we think there's going to be an increase in dollarization? Or do we think we're headed towards a multipolar currency system, right? And, uh, you know, again, I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I can't presume to know what the outcome, outcome is going to be. I mean, certainly it seems right now that the trend is towards increased dollarization. And certainly, uh, you know, the advent of a digital dollar that can be used overseas would ex accelerate that trend. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it, certainly, I, I guess, in a world in which, you know, you have a bad case scenario in two, three years, I think that that is that increases the, uh, you know, people's desire to, you know, store value in Bitcoin, particularly if you start to see um, more and more attempts to implement capital controls uh, mm -hmm. around various jurisdictions in the world. You know, and that could happen given the, um, particularly in emerging markets. But, you know, I, I, I try not to engage too much in the, uh, in, in the, you know, speculative fiction side. Yeah, or just like knowing what, what the price, you know, I, I don't know what the, the price of Bitcoin will be in two, three years. I do mm -hmm. think that its usership as a payment system will increase, um, but I don't think that that's the only driver of its of its price. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, well, it's very. Let's just say it's a brave new world that we're entering into. Indeed. Cool. All right, Robbie. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Hopefully, see you in person soon. So. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, sometime this year. All right, yeah. man. I'll talk to you later then. All right. Take care. Bye.